Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. My name is Aaron Lee Pastor, and I get to conclude this series called Center today uh, with you, and I'm grateful to have you with me. This entire series course has been about how do we become full-time worshipers of God? How do we center our lives on Him. And so hopefully it's been helpful uh, so far as uh, to be able to uh, rebalance our lives. I know that uh, oftentimes it's, it's easy to, to really put the wrong things in the middle of our lives, right? Uh, we have jobs and we have families and uh, we have friends and we have uh, hobbies and all kinds of things that it's easy to kind of put at the center of our life, but none of those really has the gravity to kind of hold our worlds together. And, uh, and so God invites us to put Him back in the center. And that's what worship really is, is what our life revolves around. And we want our lives to revolve around Christ. In fact, this whole year, that's really been uh, the theme. I've, I've mentioned it a few times. Hopefully we're picking up on like the theme about it, is how we really center our lives in God in a real true way. Like Jesus said, God is spirit and his worshipers must spirit, worship him in spirit and in truth. Like how do we do that? Well, uh, God's a very practical God. He did make uh, this world, and that's pretty practical. And so he tells us that we could worship. We could center him in our lives in real practical ways uh, with our time, with our, with our abilities, our talents, and with our things, with our treasure. And so that's what we've done this year. As we've, uh, starting in February, we had our series talking about how do we worship God with our things. That's the easiest one. Took the, the tithe challenge, and it was amazing as we saw as we begin to center our things around God our, our, and put God at the center of that. We realize that he owns everything and he cares for us and it relieves this burden that we often have that most uh, people who don't have Christ in their life don't have that benefit. That God says, I'll care for you, I'll take care of you, but he tells us, these are my priorities, this is how I want you to live. And we got to begin doing that and that was helpful. Then we, uh, this summer, we took an entire summer and we talked about how do we worship God with our talents, that, that this God just didn't make the world, he made us. And he said that he made us uh, like a, a master craftsman would, would make something beautifully with a purpose. And, and I know that sometimes, at least for me, that most days I don't feel like a, a piece of masterpiece of workmanship. There are days, you know, Amy doesn't like those days because I'm usually like, hey, hey, <laughs> like, I have a masterpiece. But most days <laughs> I'm more aware of my flaws than I am, you know, I think a lot of us maybe live in that space. But the thing is, is that God says even those flaws he's, he's using that he's working those together for, for my good and his glory. That God is making us, he's forming us, not just uh, uh, as my body, but he's, he's giving me my gifts and my abilities to do things of greatness. And so he challenged us to, to worship God with our talents, and that's what our Say Yes ministry is all about, beginning to serve God, using the gifts and abilities already given us to bring him glory. And it's been amazing as we've gone to start doing that as a congregation, how, again, uh, we find that our lives have more fullness, more richness. It's amazing when we put God at the center, the blessings that we enjoy. And so now at the end, we're talking about the most difficult resource to worship God with, and that is our time. I'll say as a pastor, the hardest thing that, that stands between, a, a, that I've discovered, that stands between a believer and really growing in discipleship, the, the, the number one thing that they say this is the stands between them is, is busyness. Right? It, it's one thing. It's easy to say, you know what? I can. I'll start giving. I can tithe. I can start doing that. Or I'll be obedient because that's a sacrifice and it takes faith. But it's easy. As Americans, we're used to spending money. And it's it's another thing to say, okay, I'm going to start trusting God, I'm going to start serving Him, or I'm going to start serving other people using my abilities. That takes a little bit more, takes some effort, but 
most of us are very, we're doers. We're used to going and doing things. And so we say, yes, I can begin to, to minister and, and in, intentionally begin to serve other people and God with my abilities. But the hardest thing is say, I would do all those things, but I just don't have the time. My schedule just won't allow it. But if God is the author, the creator of this world, he doesn't just make all things. Didn't he make time? Isn't that also a resource that he blesses us with? Isn't each day a blessing, a gift? Why would God create this world with time poverty? Why would he give us all those other wonderful things but force us to live lives that don't quite not have enough time? I think we understand as we grow in faith, as we, as we begin to worship God, we center our life on Him, we find out that God actually, just as He does with our things, just as He does with our abilities, that God has given us more than an abundance. More than an abundance. But we have to learn how to live in that. And that's really what this series has been about. We started, uh, what, four weeks ago, talking about how to make a schedule. Right? That we want to, to make sure that we, we learn how to budget our time. And as a really practical spiritual discipline, being good time managers, that's, that's an important thing for us to do. Why? Because we'll never be able to get to where we're going to talk about today if we don't start there. Right? If you notice, like just with our money, if you don't, if you don't have a budget for your dollars, they just kind of disappear, they fly away, they sprout wings, and boo, they're gone. It's the thing with our time, too. If we don't tell our time where to go, it just disappears. And what a shame. So we have to start by, by learning how to, to construct our days and our months and our years and to, to tell our time where it's going to go. And if you missed that opportunity or that series, of course, it's on our website, Fun Church, and on our web, Facebook page and YouTube and all the other wonderful places that we are now hosted. But there's some tools there. But also, if you struggle with time management, if you struggle with that, you know, there are, there are a lot of really great men and women in this church who have offered to say that to have mastered that themselves and said, I would be willing to help somebody else if they, if they need to learn how to budget their time. That's part of what the body of Christ does. And so if you need some help with that, let me know on your connection card. Say, you know, I need some help time management. We'll help connect you with somebody that will, will walk you through the process and helping you learn how to spend your days well. So that three weeks ago, we talked about one of the first things we get to do when we budget our time well is we get to spend our life on God's priorities, Right? Just like with our funds, with, with our money, when we begin to worship God with our things, we, we make God's priorities our priorities, and then all of a sudden we find that our finances start to make a lot more sense. Well, it's the same thing with our time. When we say, God, I'm going to make your priorities mine, and one of the things that God has a priority for is for us to meet with him. And that's why we talked about a quiet time, and how do we take one, and all of that. And of course, there's all those that help that we have in that message, and if you need some help with that, it's kind of what I do right? We've got elders, pastors in our church. We've got folks that, that have been taking quiet times for a long time. If you need some help, how do you take a quiet time and learning to, there are a bunch of tools. We want to help you in that so you can get refreshed and center each day on Christ. And then last week, whilst I was away, uh, actually I was at a conference, a missions conference, and I had to worship with a, a different congregation in Kansas City. Uh, Zach was here and I got to, to uh, Watch online. That was kind of cool afterwards. He did a great job. Didn't Zach do a great job? So he did a great job talking about how we worship God here at church, the assembly. A church really is assembly, right? It's, so, uh, it's, the, it's the assembly of the believers is what it means. So you can't be church by yourself, right? Because you can't assemble. It's not like Captain America is like, 
Avengers assemble all by himself. That'd be stupid, <laughs> right? We come together and God invites us every week to come together, have a family meeting, to assemble together and to center our week around him, to start our week with the knowledge of who we are and whose we are. And what an amazing way to, to begin to have our life uh, uh, start falling into place. And so that's where we began. And today we talk about kind of the fruit of all of that. The most fun part, we get to talk about how God then teaches us how to take a day off, which is really fun. Now, as we get into that, of course, we have our memory verse that we've been studying for the entire series that sets the theological foundation in our hearts and minds. It helps us meditate on God's word throughout the week and prepare us to really be obedient to what he's calling us to, to worship him with our time. And so the memory verse that we chose for this series, that hopefully it's being familiar to most of you now, Ephesians 5.15 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This is not talking about making the most, like we're going to be wise with our time. We're going to make the most of the time that we have, right? And it's a purposeful, God has purpose for that. Now today we talk about how we can be wise. Making the most of every opportunity will, requires us to be uh, able, right? We have to be ready for that, right? And so God has given us something to, to help us in the opportunities to have the energy and the and this peace of mind and the right space to be able to make the most of every opportunity. And it's what the Bible calls a Sabbath. And I know that sounds scary. You're like, whoa, trust me, we're not going to get all legalistic, but we're going to basically, we're going to show you the power of the Sabbath, why God gives it to us. In fact, there's four lessons about the Sabbath we're going to look about, see today in God's word. We're going to go from Genesis all the way into the Gospels and, and actually it's in the letters of Paul. You're going to see the Sabbath and why God gives us four powerful lessons. And we're going to finish up talking about how you can begin to implement that in your life, how you can start taking a day off. Sound good? All right, so join me then. Let's start with, with the Bible. Let's start in Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, join me there. That's going to be on page 2 if you have one of our Bibles or pretty much any Bible, right? It's right there in the beginning. If you forgot your Bible today, don't worry about it. We got a, we're a church. They've got them by the sound booth. You can pick one up there. And if you need a Bible, just keep it. Be our gift to you. Now, Genesis uh, is the story of creation. That's what this is all about. God made the world, and that's what Genesis is all about. Chapters 1 and 2 have uh, kind of talk about the creation. Genesis 1 is the big picture, how God made everything, right? And so the focus then is kind of like the big picture of creation. The six days, how he made everything, Genesis 2, is uh, more focused in. It says in those six days, right, it focuses in on pretty much how he makes people, right? Adam and Eve and, and, and all of that. So that's the focus. Starts big, moves in small. Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 is the very end, and it should be still in Genesis chapter 1. It's the very end of the six-day creation. Is that confusing? Okay. It's just the end of that big picture. And it, there we read, um, if we're there, Genesis chapter 2 verse 2, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work that he was creating that he had done. Now think about how amazing that is. That God, he, he doesn't have to rest, but he does. And God creates a day and he, he rests on it and he blesses it. And so there was six days and he did a project and he takes a day and he steps away from it. And he says, this day is a good day. That's what blessed means. He says, I bless this day. Right? And so the day is now, henceforth, a good day. It is blessed. That is Sabbath. And the cool thing about it is then God made it holy. Holy means different. He set it apart. He made it separate, not like the other days. Six days you work. 
One day, you get to enjoy all the stuff you worked for. Aren't you glad you get a day to enjoy all the stuff you worked for? It says you're not supposed to mix these together. This is a holy day, unlike the others, right? And we all understand holiness, right? It's a, it's a very, uh, it's a common concept that we use in, in all kinds of things in our life, right? Like um, your password to your bank is holy, isn't it? Holy unto thee, hopefully, right? It's reserved only for the bank and only between you and the bank. And if somebody else uses it, that's bad, right? You're not going to share that with everybody, your toothbrush, holy, holy unto thee, right? And you use it for one purpose. You set it apart. You don't clean the car with it. You don't do detailing stuff and then use it to brush your teeth. You set it apart. It's holy. It's kept separate. And it's good that it's kept separate. How about Thanksgiving dinner? Isn't that a holy kind of dinner? Thanksgiving dinner is different than most dinners. If it wasn't, we would be even fatter, right? Right? And Thanksgiving, it's wonderful. It's a great thing, but aren't we glad that every dinner isn't like that? I mean, for some of us who have lots of family or things like that, or you, you might have more than one Thanksgiving dinner, right? And by like the fifth time around, you're kind of like, oh, I'm grateful this only happens once a year, right? But at the beginning, it's wonderful that God created this day to be separate, to be different, to be something celebrated. And it was in proportion, six to one. He said, I bless this as a good day. The Sabbath at its very core is, is unique. It's different. It's not like every other day. We're supposed to have a difference in our days. So the first thing that we see about Sabbath, the first lesson I find in the Scripture, is that it's a day of rest. There is a proportional amount of rest that we're supposed to have. Right? That, that God created this the universe, a part of the, the creation. Notice how he did it. He did it in the concept of days. Days and nights. Who created days and nights? God. It was his idea. Right? It could have just been a perpetual day. Like God could have designed it that way if he had wanted to, but he didn't. There is a rhythm of creation that God designed because it was good. In fact, it was very good. Right? Isn't that we love the seasons? And there's a time for planting and a time for harvest. There's, there's something special about the movement of time and the movement of life or like morning and evening. We have time to go and do and time to rest and stop. And that's a wonderful thing. Can you imagine if the world was just go, 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 never stop? Yeah, most of you can. And here's why. We invented light bulbs and the internet and cell phones. So there used to be a, a rhythm of life that we would have. Like it would get dark and you'd run out of wax and you were like, I guess we're going to bed. Like you can watch the stars, but most nights it's the same show. Right? You're like, oh, I saw this one. You just go to bed. But the thing is, is that there was just this rest that we would have, and then you would wake up the next morning, and then you would have time for work, and then you would rest. There's a good balance to it. But now we can have day extend all the way to the next day. And a lot of times we burn the candle at both ends, and we work and work and work and work and work. And the other thing is that, that oftentimes in the past, you, you know, we used to be able to, you know, you go visit a friend and then you could leave. You know, you just go, you see your friend or maybe they come over to your house and you'd have a really great time and you talk and you chat and then they go home or you go home. And then that was great and you remember the conversation you had, but it would stop. Now you have your friend in your pocket. You have all your friends in your pocket. You have people who aren't even your friends in your pocket. 
And some of them never stop talking and they never go away. Right? Or how about this? There was a time that you could go to work and then you would leave work at the office. You could just leave it there and you would go to this place called home. It was an amazing place. Right? It was like a refuge from it. It was different. And now you have your office in your pocket. And oftentimes work follows us everywhere. Even to the bathroom. Isn't that crazy? This is horrible. <laughs> Work's not supposed to follow us. What happened is this world is, is we've fought against, as humans, we've destroyed the rhythm of creation. We've taken the ebb and flow that we were designed within. And don't forget, brothers and sisters, that we were created from the dirt of this world. We're part of this creation. We are subject to its laws and its rhythm. We can deny it. We can fight against it, but it impacts us. We just can't go forever. God designed us for going, six, resting, one. Right? There's a pattern to it. There's a rhythm. And so the first thing we recognize is the Sabbath is that day of rest. It's part of who we are. It's built into our very being. Taking a day off is not something that is uh, contrary to your, to your nature. It's the one thing that we can start doing that's actually in harmony with our nature. It's very healthy. The second lesson I want to pick up about uh, Sabbath comes to us from Exodus. Exodus, unlike Genesis was the story of creation, Exodus is the story of redemption. It's the story of freedom. To the people of Israel in, in Genesis, we discover God made people, and one of those, the people turned from God, and then we tried to do it our own way, and we said, okay, what if we wipe out all the bad people? You ever felt like doing that? If we could just rid the world of all the bad people, it'd be fine. So God showed us how well that would work. He took Noah, was the last good guy in his family, and wipes away all the bad people, and then we still messed it up. And so he's like, you clearly can't do this and you need to understand it. So then he created a people. He called Abraham and said, I'm going to create a holy people. So that way I'm going to redeem you through a Messiah. It's going to come through one of those since that was the people of Israel. And so Abraham, he told Abraham, he called him, said, you're going to be a mighty nation, but, and you're going to live in this land, the holy land, promised land. And this is where all that's going to take place. But there's going to take, there's going to be a time that uh, you guys are going to be slaves for a little while. Then you're going to come back. Well, that came to pass. And so Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had lots of kids with too many wives, and there was 12 of them, 12 boys, and they ended up going to Egypt, and eventually Egypt made them slaves, and for hundreds of years, they lived as slaves, and then we get to Exodus, because God was good to his promise, and he said to, uh, to this guy named Moses, he said, you're going to set my people free. And Moses goes and he calls the people out of bondage. And there was 10 plagues and it's a great story how God sets the people free. And he does, right? The, the world empire that, was, uh, that didn't want their slave force to go, uh, God brought them to their knees. And finally, the Egyptians are like blessing the Israelites saying, go and take all our stuff, right? Be blessed. And God crosses, leads them to cross the Red Sea and destroys the Egyptian armies. And it's an amazing thing. And he brings them to this mountain called Sinai where they get to learn how to live like a new people, not like slaves. Because let's remember that these people were brought up as slaves. They were the children of slaves. Who were the children of slaves? Who were the children of slaves? I mean, their great-great-grandparents were slaves. It's all they ever knew. I mean, and, and slaves do one thing. Slaves work. Slave, a slave's life is not about pleasure. 
It's not about I work for anything and then get to step back and enjoy it. A slave does a task and then does another task and does another task and does another task. And always is just about what they do. A slave's value is based upon how productive they are. Does that ever sound familiar? God said to the slaves, he set them free. He said, there is a new constitution for you. You are now my people. You are no longer slaves and you will not live like slaves. You are a holy nation. And there's a whole different way to live. And in in Exodus chapter 20, he meets with Moses and he says, there are 10 rules that I want you to follow. Right? 10 pretty simple things. And one of those rules that God says, I don't want you to be like slaves anymore. I want you to take a day off. Because slaves don't do that. But then, you'll notice I didn't have you turn to Exodus chapter 20. I had you turn to 31. And the reason for that is, after God had been meeting with Moses, Moses on the mountain, he has the Ten Commandments. God inscribes the Ten Commandments on the on this rock, you know, on the stone with his fingers. And God's pretty serious about these, right? He's going to send Moses back down. And these are the final things that God says to Moses before he sends them back down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Starting in verse 16, God says, The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant of law and the tablets of stone inscribed at the finger of God. Now think about the importance of this. God had ten commandments. He brings Moses onto the mountain. He's going to say he has a whole different way of living. He writes them with his own finger on a rock that Moses is looking at. And one of those commandments that Moses can see is take a day off. And before God sends him back down, his final instruction, he could have have told him anything. He says, I'm serious about the day off thing. Now get down there. Think about that. Not, hey, I'm serious about keeping me first. Hey, I'm serious about not murdering people. Right? I'm serious about not robbing or lying. I mean, all those are important. They were written in stone. God cares about that. Why is it that he'd have to remind Moses one more time before he sent him back down? Not you keep a Sabbath. Because we're not slaves. That's why. It is so important to God that his people do not look like slaves. It brings him bad character, right? It makes him look bad. But also, he saved us for more than that. He knew that slaves would have a hard time adjusting to a different kind of lifestyle. I mean, they could understand the power of God. They understood power. But they didn't understand luxury. And the Sabbath is all about luxury, isn't it? See, the rest of the people in the world, they act like slaves, don't they? Don't we live in a culture that people are just slaves to the clock? We work and work and work and work and work and work and work. And if you're not working, you feel guilty or you feel like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? Why? Because it's all on your own shoulders. If you're not God's child, you're in this world, survival of the fittest, right? When can you rest? But once you're God's child, Jesus says, don't be like the pagans who spend their entire life worried about what they're going to eat and drink and wear and everything else. They worry and work their life away. So you're my child. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I got you. God blesses us with what we need. We don't live a life in panic. We don't live a life under the whip of the world. See, God doesn't want us to live our lives exhausted. 
Slaves are exhausted 24-7, 365. So the second lesson that we find about, about Sabbath, which is so important that we get this, is Sabbath is for our refreshing. It's so important. We need it. You know, I think it's such a tragedy that so many of us come out of the world and we receive the grace of God, right? And He saves us and He meets us there and it's a wonderful thing, but then we leave at the table some of the very best dishes. We don't, we don't enjoy the luxury of being God's child. Because I want you to be refreshed. That's what He says here in that like right before he sends him back, he says, hey, this, take a covenant, take this, this lasting covenant, the Sabbath, and it's not just for you guys first, it's for everybody who's mine, right? lasting for generations. He says, it's going to be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. And why? Because in six days, God made the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. God says, I'm going to invite you into my lifestyle. Think about that, especially coming from a slave. I mean, slaves would look up at their masters and they would seem like they live with such luxury, right? But God is even above them. In fact, in the, the 10 plagues, God proved that he was above their gods. God says, I'm going to invite you into a royal way of living. I'm going to invite you to a way that the world has nearly not had the privilege or ability to step into. But now that you're mine, this is a royal lifestyle. Yeah, we get to work. We get to do things, creative things, amazing things, but... We also get to rest and be refreshed. We get to enjoy this world. Isn't that great? If you are burnt out, that's because that's what the world does. It, it dries us up. And God says, there is a time and a space I have designed for you, even in the fabric of creation. And now I'm inviting you into a, a royal lifestyle, a way that, that you can start living into to my pattern. You can be refreshed. Sabbath is a powerful thing. And notice he ties the Sabbath again to seven, six days working, one day off, to be refreshed. And so the purpose of a Sabbath, if you, when we take them, is to be refreshed. It's not to be extra holy. It's not to go and do extra things for God. It's not about all these things that oftentimes we think it's about. It's so that you can be poured into so that God's grace can flow through you. That's a pretty great thing. Third lesson that we find for the Sabbath comes to us from the Gospels. The Gospel of Mark is a story of, of uh, basically salvation. The Gospels are the story of Jesus, how God became human, came to this earth, and we celebrate that. In fact, starting next week as we start our, um, our series uh, on uh, Advent, we begin celebrating that God really came became one of us. Well, it's a story of, of what God did, right? And so God shows up and he, he's the Messiah who fills all the prophecies and, and we get to see what God is like. And he called these disciples to follow him, to learn this new way of living. And he says, come learn from me. And it was fascinating and different, right? Because God's brilliant and they were learning from him. And in, in chapter two, which is very beginning of this gospel, right, of, of Mark, we find that the uh, disciples were doing something that was a little scandalous, they were, uh, they were following Jesus, who is God, who created the Sabbath, and Jesus was taking a stroll on the Sabbath, which some people thought was work. And as they were walking, some of his disciples got hungry, and they were walking through a grain field, and they took some of the grain, and they were chewing on it. And, uh, well, we'll just pick up the story. You can see what, 
what Jesus had to say. Chapter uh, 2, and uh, starting verse 23, it says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick up some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to them, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Because they thought picking grain up from the ground was work. Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now Jesus talked about something that only he would have the authority to say. Jesus is God. He's the creator. We find that in John chapter 1. He is God the creator. He made all things, including the Sabbath. And he knows why. He's the one that was there when it was said, when God the Father said, I command you to take a Sabbath, take a day off. Right? This is what we need to do. He was the one who was with uh, Moses when he wrote down the law. Right? He's, he's the one who's got, he's the legislator. Right? He's able to, to write these things down. And so, uh, the people that were there were trying to honor God. They said, we're supposed to have a Sabbath. We're not supposed to work. We're going to make sure that we're not going to work. So they created rules about what was work and what wasn't work and all that. So they knew that they were going to honor God. And then they elevated the Sabbath above people. <laughs> they made it more important than the person. And Jesus, who was the lawmaker, he reminds them of something that happened in Old Testament history. You had this guy named David. He was King David. He was fantastic, right? And things were kind of going rough for David for this particular period of time. There were some guys that were out from there. Was a, there was some strife in the kingdom, right? And David has this army, a bunch of he- guys that were really hungry. One thing about armies, they get hungry, right? And so you got these guys, and they're really, really hungry. And they, they're out. David wants to go, and he wants to meet with God. He's like, I need some help, right, Lord? So he he goes to the temple, and he's uh, meeting with God, or he goes to the, the tabernacle, he's going to meet with God, and, and uh, he knows the guys are, are like starving, and starving soldiers aren't much good, and it's not kind to let people starve, and he sees that there's this consecrated bread that was the people would bring, and they would bake this, and it would be set aside, and only the priests could eat it, and that was in the law. And so David had this, this conundrum, do I let my soldiers starve, Right? when there's food here for them, or do I violate this law? And so David was in a difficult predicament because much of life isn't just simple. And David, a man after God's own heart, you know that God loves his children. He doesn't want us to, to break this bread all the time. This is special bread and consecrated bread. This is a special circumstance. And how could I, in the name of religion, cause my men to starve? And so he takes the bread and he feeds it. And it's amazing that the lawgiver makes an, a, a, he, he says that it's okay. Now, he's not saying it's great to just break the law willy-nilly. But he said, you know what? The law was meant to draw us closer to God. The law was supposed to be a freeing thing, a good thing. But you can't use it as a rod to beat people and make them starve. So Jesus said the same thing about the Sabbath. It's meant for our good, right? There's a, there's a benefit to it, and we have to honor that. And if you apply the Sabbath in a way that is outside of the spirit of what the Sabbath was supposed to be, then you're missing the point. And so the third lesson I think that we find in Scripture is that the Sabbath is for our good, to understand that. God didn't give us a Sabbath because he wanted us to have one more thing on our schedule that made our lives harder. This is not a burden. There are a lot of things in the Christian faith that are, right? We, we take up our cross daily and follow Christ. 
Like, we have, we have the uh, burden to make sure that we forgive because we have been forgiven, right? We have the burden to make sure that we make the most of every opportunity, right? We, we, have, the, we have a lot of things that we get to do to obey all that Jesus has commanded us, but not legalistically. There are things that are expected, but the Sabbath was meant to be a rest, it's for our good, and I think we have to understand it that way. Because oftentimes, as Americans, we are so busy that if somebody says, uh, take a day off, they're like, what? How dare you put that burden upon me? <laughs> no, rest. I can't handle rest, right? God gave it to us for our good. It's like, it's like a child, right, who sits at the table, and there's beautiful food, and the parent says, eat the green things, and the child's like, how dare you ask me to eat the green things? But if we eat the green things, it helps us become healthy and strong. And we discover, actually, sometimes they taste pretty good. The Sabbath is for our good. God serves it up to us, this amazing luxury. And to realize that the Sabbath is not supposed to be here that we can beat each other up with it and judge each other and, and make your life miserable and all that kind of stuff. The Sabbath is there for our good. That's why God gave it. The fourth lesson that we have is it comes to us from Colossians chapter 2. Letter of Paul writes to a church that's growing and it's struggling because in the early church, obviously Jesus is Jewish, the Messiah, right? There's all the prophets and all of that, the people of Israel, the Messiah came, right? And, and they have Moses, they have the law, they understand who God is. There's, they have all these festivals and celebrations and all these great things. It's really cool. And, and then there was Gentiles who were more like my heritage was, and, and their ancestors, like mine, like worshiped like sticks and rocks and stuff, right? Had stupid celebrations. And so when they became Christians and they were coming together, there was this challenge between them, and it was really easy and a rational thing for those who were Jewish to look down their nose at the Gentiles and say, well, you can have Jesus, the Messiah, but you're not as cool as us, right? You don't have all the festivals. Those are our parties, right? And we keep the Sabbath. And in fact, if you want to be as good as we are, then maybe you should become one of us. And that's called Judaizing, right? To say that in order to be a Christian, you had to be a Jew. And it, the thing was is that uh, what that did is it created this the sense of, um, of guilt and shame and division in the body of Christ, and it took the focus off of what it's supposed to be. So anytime there's a church, we want to use events or things or, or whatever to place ourselves above other Christians, we've got to be careful. And so Paul addresses that, and he says, in, uh, starting in verse 13, it says, "...when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh..." God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all us. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or what with regard to what religious festival or new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So I say that the Sabbath and the law and all those things are all very good and very wonderful, but they are all to point us to something, and that is Jesus. 
And so I would say that the, third, the fourth thing, the most important thing of the Sabbath is that it, it's an invitation that God gives us to worship. That's the point of the Sabbath. A weekly time that we get to meet with God. A weekly time that we get to center our lives around Him in refreshing and rest. That's what worship is. And to say that the Sabbath wasn't an end in and of itself. The Sabbath pointed to something. Jesus ultimately is our Sabbath, isn't He? Isn't He the eternal rest for our soul? Isn't He the completed work that in Christ us broken, sinful beings, uh, our sins have died with him and we are raised again into a new people? That the completed work of Christ is, is happening in us? I think it's pretty amazing that we have the rest of God. We don't have to work for our salvation. Praise God. All of these things point to the Lord. And the Sabbath is this invitation then, a day, an opportunity that God says, come and meet with me. Remember who you are because, remember, pagans don't get to have a Sabbath. They don't get to have a day off. They have to work for the slave master of this world. But you are God's child. And every Sabbath day, to be a reminder that you are different. You can rest because God's going to provide for you. He will, and he loves you, and he will meet you there. And your different lifestyle is a testimony to each other, reminding each other who we are and whose we are but it's also a testimony to the world. Because our culture has no concept of taking a day off, does it? I mean, it's a foreign concept to them. In fact, in American culture, and I found this when I first started taking a day off, I started taking a Sabbath, I felt guilty. Think how crazy that is. I felt guilt over obeying God. But we do. I feel guilty. How dare I rest when everybody else is working? I'll tell you how dare I rest. I'm not a slave like they are. I get to have an elevated experience. I get to invite them into that. I should hope that they could also become child, children of God, but I'm not like the rest of the world. I'm outside of the rat race. I live for something better. My God is taking care of me, and he's at work in every single day. So he says, make the most of your opportunities, but rest, refresh. Don't live like a slave. Meet with me. Center your life on me. I'll tell you, when I started taking a Sabbath, it was amazing how um, I used to get sick every year because I was overworked. Every year, I would work and work and work and work and work, and then God would say, I'm going to give you a series of Sabbaths right now. <laughs> Forced me to, right? And they were not fun Sabbaths. They were blessed. <laughs> I would get better, but they weren't fun. And I think most people in the world, they have this. They, they, they work and work and work, and then they have their sick days. <laughs> and God said, no. When I start taking my Sabbath, it's amazing how much more I get done in my week. But it's also how much more my week is rich and full. I have more time for people because I am not empty and dry myself. I have time for what God has. I have a different pace and a rhythm, and it took a long time for me to build a Sabbath. But I'll tell you, by doing so, it is an amazing, incredible way to live. So the question is, how do you have a Sabbath? I'm going to share with you some things that I applied over the last, what, three years, learning how to do this in my own life, and I'm going to welcome you to kind of join me in how do we begin applying this. And the first thing is how taking a Sabbath is so important is you have to make it a priority. You're never going to do anything in your life unless it's important for you to do it. 
My priorities can never be yours, right? But the Christian life starts with this. Worship starts with saying, God, I'm making your priorities my priorities. Isn't that what worship is about? Dying to myself and what I say is important, and God, I'm going to make your priorities mine. And God says Sabbath is a pretty big priority. So big, he baked it into creation. So big, he took his finger and carved it into stone. God said, this is a big deal. And he wants us to live that way. And so to begin with, if there is a check in your spirit, I know that I had to start there. I really wrestled with this. I said, yeah, it's a good thing, but it was for Old Testament people. Like they're only the ones that are supposed to have good stuff. Now God said, I, I want you not to be a slave, Aaron. I have to make that a priority and not live like a slave. And I would begin there, have that heart check and, and that wrestle with God and lay down all of the excuses that you have in your head, and I had tons of them, about why I couldn't do this. God has given you enough time. You're not going to have 27 hours in any day. He gives us all 24, and in that 24, he expects you still to be able to take a day off. Right? So has he given you the opportunity and the time? Yeah. The problem is, is that oftentimes we haven't made the most of every opportunity. The reason maybe we aren't taking a Sabbath is because we started with, we never made it a priority. We didn't see we needed it. But I hope you see that God says you need it, and he wants you to have it. So make it a priority. Once you make it a priority, the second thing you have to do is put it on your schedule. Sabbaths don't just happen. God put it on a schedule, didn't he? He made the world, and then he made a week. Six days on, one day off. Kept the day holy. He said, now it's on the schedule. Right? He invites us now to follow that pattern. Take a day, take a day off. Right? And I know in our culture, this is really hard because the rest of the world does not operate within the rhythm of creation. But you are God's children. You are part of his new creation. We get to influence this world. Oftentimes it starts with, uh, I know for me, I tried to, when I first was like, convicted of this, I was like, man, yeah, I need to take a Sabbath. That's a, I mean, that's not out of legalism. God loves me even when I don't take one, but I'm, I'm missing out. I'm not refreshed. I'm living a, a way that's not centered around him. And, and so I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I was committed. It was a priority. And so I was like, I want to take Saturday. That's going to be my Sabbath. And, and it's because I work on Sunday, right? So I'm going to do that. That's perfectly fine. And so I woke up that morning and I'm like, I'm going to take a Sabbath today. And then by 10 o'clock, everything that, it was, you know, that I didn't do earlier in the week was now due. And I was like, now I can't take the day off. You see, if you want to take a Sabbath, you put on your schedule and you've got to schedule for it. You've got to say, this day I'm keeping separate. I'm keeping it holy. Nothing else touches it. But in order to keep it holy, I've got to make sure I can afford it. In order to afford it, I've got to look at the rest of the week. What are the things that are going to happen? So I can make sure none of it touches that time. It's a hard thing to do. It takes a while to learn how to do it. But put it on your schedule. Mark it down. So that way, when somebody says, hey, could you do this project for me on this day? You can look on there and say, no, that day's busy. You do it for everything else. You say that kind of stuff for a dentist, don't you? Hey, can you go to my birthday party? No, I got to go to the dentist. It's a holy time. That's a joke. So, <laughs> but the thing is, you know how to make priorities and you know how to put things on the schedule and how to keep appointments. Make an appointment with God. Make a day and then you will look at it. You won't feel bad. Some of you will be like, oh yeah, that's my day of rest. So put on a schedule. And that's why we talked about scheduling, what's important. The third thing that we have to do, as you have it on your schedule, and when you come to the day, this is so important, you've got to worship God. 
I missed this at first to a great detriment. Worshiping God wasn't that I just wake up on my Sabbath and I'm like, let's put on the praise music. I just not, that's not me, right? It's it just not how I roll. But worshiping God is an acknowledgement that I'm doing this because of God has given this to me. It's an, it's an act of gratitude. See, on my Sabbath, I wake up and there is nothing on my schedule. What do I get to do today? I don't know. Whatever I want. But the first thing I want to do is say, God, thank you. Thank you that you made me not a slave, that you call me a child. Thank you for this luxury that you have gifted me with, that I can enjoy my family and my friends and this amazing world. It starts with an acknowledgement in every part through the day. A Sabbath is not a burden. It is such a blessing. It is a blessed day. Worship God in it. See, when I forgot to do that, then my Sabbath just became a day off in which then I just filled with other stuff to do. But you start by centering your life around God. And I would say that's one of the reasons why for Christians, Sunday has typically been most Christian Sabbath. Why? Because we start with church. A day of sacred assembly, right? That's what church means, to assemble. So we start there. We worship God together. And then we go and we enjoy the life, the world that he's given us. It's, it's a great way to do it. As we worship God, the next thing we need to do, and this is so important, is don't work. That's kind of the point. This is the hardest part because if you're like me, you'll play mind games with God. And he always wins. But the mind games that I would play with God is, God, I'm, I'm more relaxed knowing that this task is getting done because it's buzzing around my head, right? And if I could just do that, I'll relax. So that's the most relaxing thing for me. The most refreshing thing for me is to work. And God's like, no, nah, make the most of every opportunity. Plan your time better, Aaron. Make your task list, right? Be responsible, but take this time off because that's us equally important. And that's the hardest part. That's where I had to struggle with the, the guilt. When I was on my day, knowing that there were other tasks that would need to be done and say, this is the most important thing. God, I'm centering around you, your priorities first. And taking responsibility for my own actions that oftentimes led me to not doing that. So I'm gonna, here's confession. Saturday is normally my Sabbath. I blew it yesterday. I mean, totally blew it. I went on, on a, I was away on a, on a conference. I had a couple days to get everything done. And then we have our Christmas series coming up and all that kind of stuff. And and I didn't work ahead the way that I should have. And so came yesterday, there was a bunch of household work that I had to do, right? And so I was like, oh, I'll just do this one small thing, right? I'll take the garbage to the dump because it's open today. And then I was like, oh, but then I have this, and then I had to fix this other things, and I had to replace all the smoke detectors because clearly that's a crisis, right? <laughs> I didn't keep it holy. I started working, and I blew my Sabbath. You know what? God still loves me but I missed out on the richness that he had before me. And so next week, guess what I get to have? I get another chance. I get to center my life around God. I get to worship him. But the focus is don't work, right? Don't, that includes housework. It includes honeydews. <laughs> Just rest. And that's the next thing that you have to do on the Sabbath is rest and enjoy. I had a misunderstanding what a Sabbath was. I thought a Sabbath was a time that you became super holy. I thought, I don't know, you'd sit there and I'd grow like a long mustache or something like that. And I'd be like, oh Lord, now I'm bored and I'm with you, right? <laughs> like somehow he would see that suffering and that would make me better. I don't know. It's not what a Sabbath is. It's for you refreshing. A Sabbath is a day that there's no alarm to wake you up. 
Sabbath is a day your eyeballs open up and you're like, what are we going to do today? I don't know. Whatever we want. It is beautiful. <laughs> Scary and wonderful all at the same time. So you rest. Maybe you take a nap. Some people like those. I hate them, but some people like those. You have a day. You can nap. Maybe you like reading. Read something you like. Maybe you like watching movies. Watch a movie. Watch, watch football. Watch football. You want to talk with your family? What a great time to do that. You're not wasting time. You are investing time. You are spending time refreshing your soul. You are reminding yourself that this world was meant to be lived in, not just worked for. So do it. Go on your walk, that hike that you've been wanting to do, right? Do the things that fill you up. That's the point. Refreshing. Rest in it and enjoy the Sabbath. It is a good day. Make it a good day. Keep it blessed. As we do this, then, got to make it a habit. One Sabbath is not enough. You'll notice that as weeks go by, Sunday comes along with great regularity. That's how creation was made. That's the rhythm. Six days on, one day off. Get into the rhythm. That's the rhythm you're supposed to be in. So take a day. Make it a regular day. Keep that day. Make it a habit till some point it feels awkward, like my yesterday felt awkward because you came out of the pattern, right? It'll be easier to keep a Sabbath for once you get into a habit of it, but it'll take a while to make a habit. And it's just like making a budget. You're going to be horrible at your Sabbath at first. That's okay. Just stick with it. My first Sabbath, I made it like an hour. But you know what? God was honored in the fact that I took an hour and I tried to make his priorities mine. And then he taught me, like, here are the things that are keeping you from having a Sabbath. I need to deal with those, make the most of every opportunity. I'd be wise. And I start to carve those things out. And occasionally, a crisis will come in and I'll have to deal with it on my normal Sabbath or day off. But those are the, it's like David with the, the holy bread, right? It happens once in a while. That's okay, but it's not the norm. Make it a habit. Say, this is my new pattern of life. This is following Jesus. This is living in the richness that he has called me to. Today, I've talked to you about a lot of good things. I hope this was refreshing. This is freeing, encouraging, because that's the point of it. Centering our lives around the Lord, that's exactly what it is. You know, I've never heard the earth groan and moan that it's got to center it around the sun, right? Just effortlessly flies through space. It's just the natural way it was designed to be. When we worship God, we center our lives around him, the world becomes that way for us. It flows in the rhythm and the design that he made us to. So much of the tension and the brokenness that we struggle with is just because we're fighting against the way that God designed us to be. So center your life on Christ. Your treasure, your talents, your time, whole life worshipers of the Lord and live the fullness that he's built you for. Today, I'm going to challenge you then to take the next step and how do you apply a Sabbath into your life? Because I know it can be intimidating I know that because there was a time that I was sitting out there listening about a Sabbath and feeling very convicted and frustrated that the pastor had the audacity to speak about such a thing. Here's the thing. There are next steps that are very simple that you can take to be able to start integrating this into your life. And so the first one, your connection card, that I'll challenge you to take is this. Why don't you memorize Ephesians 5.15? Right? To live as wise, not as unwise. To make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do you know how powerful that passage is? It gives you the ability, the power over your schedule. This passage tells you that you have control over the time that God has given you, that you can be wise or unwise. It's up to you. 
that you can make the most of every opportunity or you can blow it, but it's up to you. You're not a victim of your schedule. This passage is powerful and allows us to invite God into it, doesn't it? To realize that the, this world, these days are evil. Why would I follow the pattern of this world? Maybe it's where you begin. To make God's word a priority sometimes needs the sword of the Spirit to work in our hearts and lives. And if that's where you are, I encourage you. If you haven't memorized this, thought about it, meditated on it, maybe that's where you begin this week. Or how about this? Maybe you've, you have this uh, Ephesians. I'm going to challenge you. Why don't you read and meditate on Psalm 19? Why? Read Psalm 19 and find out. I think you'll find it is very, very practical for the world that we live in today. Very helpful. Spend some time with them. Just read it. Meditate means to think about it. And guess what? We have Thanksgiving this week, right? And maybe, who knows, you might be around family members or things like that, and you'll need a time away to meditate and to bring some peace back in. This is a great thing to do. It's amazing. It's a great passage. So go and to use that. How about then? This is an act of faithfulness and an act of faith. Both. Schedule a Sabbath. Maybe you'll be like me and you'll blow it the first 15 times. That's okay. Put it on the calendar and find how to make it so it's regular. Work at it. But start today. Look at your calendar. You go home. Look at your schedule. Say, how, where am I going to hold this? When can I take a day? And I'll tell you, Sunday's a perfect day. You're already meeting together. You're already here. Why not start with worship and then go and relax and, and, and enjoy? But I know some of us, it's not a possibility. So look at your schedule and start scheduling a Sabbath. Or maybe what you want to do is join the rest of us as we've been uh, this all four weeks of encouraging and welcoming each other, challenging one another to take the church challenge. And the church challenge is very simple. It's just a commitment to say, for the next four months, I'm going to be at church. Even if I'm not here in Estes Park, wherever I'm at, I'll be, like last week, I was in Kansas City. So I went to a church in Kansas City. So wherever you are, you say, I'm, for the next four weeks, I'm going to make God's priorities mine. I'm going to be at church. And we've done that. We've got several a dozen folks from the church that are doing that together. We welcome you to join that with us. If you want to take that challenge, let me know. Give me your email address because there are some encouragement and some things through the, uh, as we go through this, the four months, to remind each other what we're doing and some tools and stuff to help. Um, but we would enjoy, uh, invite you to take that with us. Now, as I bring this message and this series to a close, um, what I'd like you to do is if you have a prayer request, write those down. And in an off at a moment, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offerings, please take these connection cards along with your commitments. Uh, drop them in the offering basket. I will pray with you and for you this week as you do that. So uh, drop those in with your tithes and your, and your offerings. Let me pray for these and for you. And then uh, Zach and the worship team will close us with some great worship. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your kindness that you didn't save us to be slaves even though we are your enemies and uh, we deserve your wrath, uh, you've given us the most amazing thing. You've called us your sons and daughters and then you've invited us to live a full and an abundant life in your grace. Uh, Father, the luxury of a Sabbath, a day off, is just uh, overwhelming. It truly is. And yet it also requires a deep amount of faith for us to be able to trust that you, the author and the, the creator of time, will give us enough time to make the most of every opportunity and still have time to rest. So Father, I pray that you would bless this congregation with rest even this week, that you would help us to be faithful and in that faithfulness we will find you, that you will help us to, to apply this truth in such a way that it doesn't just benefit us but also reflects to one another the value it is to follow you but also to our world that you're a God who saves and you are a God of great grace and you're a God who provides so, Father, help us as we apply these truths to our lives that they would testify to your goodness. 
Lord, I know that this week we have Thanksgiving and we say thank you for the many blessings that you have provided for us. We're going to give back to you a portion of that which you have provided. That you've told us that you want us to give with cheerful hearts. So Father, we give back to you with gratitude, knowing that you meet our every need. Father, take these tithes and these, these offerings and I ask that you would bless them, that you would use them to build your kingdom for your glory, help the church to grow strong, help our, our outreach of the gospel to be true. Father, we also pray a blessing over our congregation as we go to Thanksgiving. Those that travel, protect them as they go and as they come back. But around each of those tables, Father, I pray that you would bless us with the ability to be good witnesses for you, that you would uh, allow us to be peacemakers in a very hostile time, that you would allow there to be harmony and joy and peace around us. Help us to be your ambassadors as we bring gratitude back to you for the good God that you are. We lift all of this to you in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.